I hit that when I started? Oh, yeah. Thank you. So first let me say thanks for YSU uh, Art Department for bringing me in and Duraga for inviting me in. Uh, it's been a pleasure meeting John and Melissa and a few other students uh, and discussing their work with them. Um, I always find it, having come from a very large uh, studio or a very large art and design uh, department, it, it is going. Oh, okay. Yep, I got it. Sorry, thanks. Um, I, 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 I hail from Menominee, Wisconsin right now, uh, University of Wisconsin Stout, and we have an art department that has 1,100 students, uh, which is incredibly large. Um, I'm going to go over a, and relate this a little bit back to the, to the students and where they're at in the sort of mix of getting ready to get through their degrees, choosing their majors, and then going on from there and how... I've taken this journey to, uh, to find myself here right now. So uh, I, grew up in a, I grew up in Iowa, a very small town, 5,000 people. They called Nevada, Iowa, spelled Nevada. We called it Nevada. Um, and I show you the, the landmark that you find as you look out across. It's literally in the middle of Iowa. Um, as you look out across the state, you find it to be very flat. And there's obviously places like that here, but this is right outside of Nevada, Iowa. Uh, and as I, as I grew up, and I, uh, being an academic and read many uh, applications for jobs and whatnot, 
Uh, you get cover letters that say, I've been an artist my entire life. Ever since I was in kindergarten, I graduated. You know, you, or you read statements like that, these grandiose statements. I never viewed myself necessarily being an artist, growing up at least. I drew, I did, uh, you know, I colored all those types of things. But what I had planned to do growing up in Nevada, Iowa, was to become an architect. And everything in my schooling uh, led me to architecture. Uh, another, another big sky uh, in Nevada, Iowa. Um, and going through school and everything, I never took an art class in, in, in high school until my senior year. And the only reason I decided to do that was because I had realized I didn't need calculus to actually get in. I'd already been accepted into pre-architecture at Iowa State University, which was eight miles from where I grew up, so it was an easy commute. Um, and I decided to drop my calculus class to take my first art class. And my, my professor, or my, my, my high school math professor, who had worked very hard with me to get me to calculus because it didn't come naturally to me, uh, was very upset when I walked in one day and I said, hey, Mr. Schneider, where do you want me to put this math book if I'm not actually going to take this class? And it was like the third day of math. And he says, what do you mean? What are you taking? And I said, well, I'm going to take an art class. I don't need calculus anymore. And he goes, I sure hope that gets you a job. Long story short, I get to Iowa State, uh, and I start through architecture classes and whatnot, and I find out that I probably should have had that calculus class, because mm -hmm. taking a year off of math and hitting trigonometry that was uh, accelerated, what seemed to be light speed at that time, and being too proud as a freshman student, I failed math my first semester at Iowa State. I literally took an F on my transcript. So when I send my job applications out, or did, I was, that was highlighted as a, as a large you know, first semester F. Uh, I quickly changed majors, just found myself weeded out of that, and I went into landscape architecture and I had to take a drawing class. And I found myself falling in love with charcoal and the material experience of that dirty material in your hands as you sit there with the tongue hanging out of your side of your mouth and you're grinding in a lawn. And the student came up to me and said, hey, what, are you a fine arts major? I said, no, I'm a landscape architecture major. What's a fine arts major? He goes, you can just, you can just do this all day. I said, really? I think by the end of that day, I changed my major to fine art. I went home and told my dad, and he literally about threw me out of the house. So uh, four years later, I graduated, uh, and I... I started working at a sign shop uh, and took a year off. I then went back to school and uh, started to make, I went back for an MA in art education. At the same time, I started to uh, make assemblage paintings. Uh, and this is one of them. My father was an antique dealer. And so I would take these found objects he had whether it was the every every single object on here was found, and I just assembled them in a, in a certain way, and you can see <laughs> maybe this is related to our current election cycle, but you can see here that little flag is upside down, and if you, does anybody know what the upside down flag? Distress. Distress. International sign for distress, right? 
And so I had altered a bunch of these flags so people could come up and they could take a flag. Feel free to take a flag. Feel, do you feel free? Feel free, well, however you want to. So a lot of my undergrad work was all in traditional oil painting. And it was, it was in a manner in which I was going to save the world with art. I, was, I had a political message. I was, I was going to go in that way. And then I started to get, I'm a, I'm a very politically minded, politically active person, and having that be your artwork too can be really taxing on your, on, on the times when you want to relax and do artwork. You don't always want to be thinking about that type of stuff. So I started to just play with the forms of the found objects and create objects like this. And some of these things, I have no idea what, what they actually were. Um, at the same time, uh, I was starting to get some of this work into shows and I started to experiment with the idea of color fields like this here. And this is actually the wall. So this is an old fashioned discarded frame with a little printer's block there in the corner. And this is an old shovel handle that's been wired onto a nail hanging down on this bound piece of wood. And at the same time I, I was doing this, I was also doing some paintings and then attaching the found objects with this old sort of poison sprayer or you know bug sprayer that I'd found in my dad's antique shop. And then I took a printmaking class for the first time. I never took one in undergrad. I wasn't required to. I was a visual studies major, so I could sort of pick and choose, and I never got there. So I took a printmaking class, and I quickly realized you can't push objects through the press. It just doesn't work that way. And as I'm building sort of this body of work, I started to change and make these funny little drawings about these objects, uh, which were some of these types of things, or like this. Or like this, being a sort of old-fashioned square nail, but then with these sort of weird found little background and into a compositional uh, sensibility, or this. Uh, and as I was doing this, I also realized I hated intaglio. It, I, I totally appreciated it as an art form. I could not do it. It, it was too slow. I can't. I, you put asphaltum on, you etch into the plate, you throw it in the acid, you wait however long, you pull it back out, clean it, ink it, you have nothing, you start over again. Too slow. At the same, or slightly before this, I got my first computer. It was an Apple 6115. Perform. I had a 750 megabyte hard drive with 16 megabytes of RAM and a, a version of Photoshop 3. And I, I was like, Photoshop, what's that? I've heard about it. i got to use it. So I started to question how I could make sort of diagrams of printmaking so I could actually make an intaglio print. Uh, but my patience with intaglio went straight out the window. So these prints that you see, this one and this one, are actually xerographic prints. So I would take these little drawings from the margins of my notebook or from sketchbooks and I would enlarge them, say this large by enlarging and enlarging again and they get rougher and rougher as they enlarge. And then if you take some gum arabic and you, you, you lay it onto a, just a regular litho plate, you put some gum arabic on there, the, the carbon on the paper actually sticks above the, the paper surface and it, it will take ink and I could make these sort of xerographic or paper lithos really quick. 
and my instructor, who uh, was, was totally fine with that, uh, working sort of outside, getting away from Italian, but still making marks and forms. So I started to make these different compositions with these, sort of these, these color fields uh, between them. And then at the same time, I was also painting and I was making these assemblage paintings. And then it hit me, I said, well, I'm gonna take one of these little drawings and I'm gonna put it in the computer and I'm gonna make these prints, but then I'm gonna print them out and have that become this blueprint for a painting. And so I made this little set of drawings and I scanned them on a flatbed scanner and I then put it in Photoshop and this is what happened. So I had these sort of two-sided, you know, white with the, with the brown and then put these back in. So then I got an opaque projector and I projected it and I painted it. And so I, so I started into the, the realm of abstraction for myself. And this was probably 1997, 98. So I'm going back pretty far here. Uh, and this is another one. So I started, and so in, in Photoshop, I could enlarge, change, alter any of these different forms. And so you see repeats of this sort of form. You know, here it's the same, I, I narrow it. And then you can see it, it's the same form again here, but enlarged again. And digitally changed in Photoshop, it would pixelate, so you got that weird green, so then I would match that green via uh, oil paint. So these were oil on canvas. And then that same printmaking instructor came down to my studio one day and said, hey, quit using the traditional oil colors that you're so used to using, uh, the burnt sienas, the raw umbers, and all that stuff, and try to choo choose three colors you're totally unfamiliar with, you're totally uncomfortable using. So said, okay, I'll try that. And so I made this one. So it shows some seafoam green and sort of the, the orange and then the bright sort of magenta. It's a little more hot here than it probably is in real life. And onto sort of, and then inputted that in the computer, outputted in a print, and then made, made a 32 by 32 painting or 40 by 40 painting. And so I started to make color field paintings with these different digital things. And that led into, uh, more explorations with the oil and, and wet and wet on dry and dry brushing and making things feel pixelated or feel faded out, which you could easily do with a filter in Photoshop. So as I'm sort of concurrently learning Photoshop and I'm, I'm outputting these, these handmade paintings, um, and they, they started to go much further than just following the blueprint necessary right away. Uh, at the same time, I was still working at the sign shop, um, and about this time I graduated, or I, I did my student teaching and I went off and I taught in the public schools for two years. I quickly realized I love K-5, high school is crazy, uh, but I got to go back to school and finish my master's in, in painting or something. So I went back and inquired how I can finish my MA in painting, and they said, well, we have a new MFA. I said, oh. Can I transfer my credits? Can I apply? And I got in, and, and so I started to focus again on these, these little illustrations I did. But then I, start, I, I decided to change my materials again. So I started to make paintings, which some of the students earlier saw. I, I brought some examples. These are completely 100% vinyl. 
there's no paint or pigment in them. And I was getting all this uh, leftover vinyl from the sign shop that I, I thought, what can I use this for? And I thought, I'm gonna make a painting. So I would, some of this was hand cut and some of it was, was digitally cut using a vector-based plotter, which is how you'd make you know, signs for the side of a car or a front of a door or whatever. So this mark is cut and then I cut it apart to space it around the lines to take the negative spaces away. And then the blue marks are hand cut. The lines are hand cut and it's all laid in. And then I would I put an alkyd resin across the the top to seal it. So they become they became uh, much glossier than the previous oil paintings. And these were small. These were 12 by 12 approximately. And so I made a, I made a lot of these. At the same time, I was I was back in my MFA program, and my MFA program uh, was in integrative visual arts. It was a new program. You had to combine a traditional media with a digital media, which I was already doing previously, but they didn't have a major for it. So I was using the, the computer, but instead of just focusing on Photoshop and Illustrator, which I already sort of knew, I started to animate these. Um, and I can pull up one of those really quickly. as I pull this across here. So this is just one of an animation I made uh, utilizing a logarithmic code using flash programming and it making all the different layers digitally where things would start to move, the painting would change, and as the user clicked a space bar, it would do different things. It would, it would stack them randomly onto different layers. Uh, and if you held the space bar, it did a bunch of different things, but it was all random, what would happen. That was one example. Let's go back to my PowerPoint. Another one. And then I started to experiment with again with materials um, and started to paint something like the vinyl had limited color color uh, color range. It didn't have any uh, range of tone. It didn't have any desaturated colors really. So I would paint some of the grounds here and then put vinyl over the top and then coat them out. Um, I started to play with optical effects a little bit. If you look long enough at, at this in the real painting, they would you'd start to get after effects. As you stare at it for a second and move your eyes, you'd see the, the uh, complementary color that, that affects the dots. I don't know if that's happening. But I started to play with sort of the play where these shift and which one's behind, so that spatial illusion. This one again, this is yellow paint. So these become these sort of mixed media. And again, they're still, they're still 12 by 12. And, and another one. And this sort of optical mixing that happens with the red and the greens and how they, they change. These are machine cut, hand cut lines, machine cut dots, the, the opticals of that, and another one. And at, at the same time doing this, I, I was started to think about how I could use the flash animations, and I don't have a video of this, 
Um, but this was a projection into spaces, and this is with the lights down. But these are vinyl drawings. They're, they're, it's vinyl drawn onto the wall. And the, the projection is actually square, and you can see it. But I've masked out in the animation to match up perfectly to where the vinyl drawing is. And then as you walked into the space, the animation would change. So I had hacked an old keyboard and wired that to motion sensors. So it would trigger change in the animation. So it, was, it became this interactive environmental thing uh, where I had different versions of it, multiple iterations of it. Uh, some were just have a mouse on a pedestal, but it was to, to get, the, get the user involved in, in uh, participating with the artwork. Um, this is what got me my interview in academics. Uh, ironically, I, I, where I am now currently employed, I didn't get the interactive programming job for uh, design students. I got the foundations job, which was much more about drawing and painting. And I'm the foundations coordinator there. At that same time, or slightly before that, I had, with actually some of these paintings, I took my first trip to New York City with, with a friend, and, and I told this story to the students earlier. I was at CAA conference, and some of you know what CAA is. It's College Art Association, and you go to try to find jobs. And I was in the Hilton and passing out packets of slides back then, and what am I doing? I'm in New York City. I gotta go to the galleries. I gotta go, you know, I got all these slides. I should go pass those out to galleries. That's, that's what they do, right? So I walked around randomly and I walked in to number one, what's your slide policy? Oh, we, we might look at them if you send them in, you know. Uh, or no, we don't, we have our own sealed program. We don't, we don't accept any outside solicitations or anything. Well, I walked into Thatcher Projects, run by Margaret Thatcher, who used to run the Dia Center, uh, or Dia Beacon, and uh, it's, it's in Chelsea. And I walked in, I said, is Margaret here? And they said, um, yes, she is. A, you know, can I ask her John? I just want to see if she would look at some slides. And she came out, and I said, hey, do you look at slides? And she said, oh, we would if you sent them in. And I said, well, if I had them with me, would you look at them? She said, sure. I pulled them out of my bag, and I handed them to her. And she said, I really like these paintings. Do you have any physical ones with you? And I said, well, yeah, actually, I do. And so I raced back up to Midtown and got my paintings and raced back down to Chelsea and, and presented them to her. She said, I'd really like to show these. And I, I was like, that's why I came here. This must be, it must be this easy everywhere. And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, that, that started my career into the commercial gallery uh, system. So this work led into, step back one more time. These vinyl paintings <laughs> had some defects in them. They started to peel. Vinyl being a, something that changes in time and shrinks and it being Iowa and hu very humid in the summer, very cold in the winter. And wood has a different expansion rate. And the, the resin, the uh, alkyd resin I was putting on a different expansion rate, I started to get some bubbles. I started to, and I had sold, I don't know, 20 of these. Um, <laughs> I've not yet heard back from anybody, but some of mine are broken. Um, so I started to paint everything, and this painting came uh, as a result of going to the Vermont Studio Center residency, and it was actually supposed to be way more complex. There was probably seven more layers to go on this, uh, and it's all uh, alkyd enamel on uh, aluminum panel. 
So I changed my substrate again from the sign industry because I was still working at the sign shop. I used an alkali enamel called uh, One Shot. If you're familiar with sign painting, it's, it's what they use on signs. So I was using everything that I learned in the sign industry um, for my fine art practice. I was using blue tape paint masks. I was just cut, covering and then I'd cut them out by hand and then I'd roll One Shot in. One Shot is a self-leveling alkali enamel. Super, super stinky. It's the stinkiest paint I've ever worked with. Um, and so I started to make a series of these. Um, and this, these went also to the gallery, also to Thatcher Projects. And at the same time, I had switched from Photoshop to start designing things in Illustrator. I finally taught myself Illustrator um, and started to manipulate forms via the vector-based graphics. Uh, and I slowed down the use of the digital side of things in terms of the installations because I didn't get that job as stout. I got the foundations job and my paintings started selling. So when paintings are selling, you focus on paintings. If museums were calling for installations, maybe I'd focus on that, but that didn't happen. So the coding side of the logarithms and flash animation died with the iPhone and all that stuff, I sort of walked away from that side of installations I started to uh, get the opportunity in our faculty shows or whatever else, I decided to start doing installations in there. And so this is one of my installations in the, in the space. And it, it has this curved wall. So I started to play, I, I chose the most, the, the worst spot in the, the, the most undesirable spot, space in the gallery because of the curved wall, no one wants to hang a painting on it. But if you look at this, it, it actually really bends around the space. So I started to play with how can I flatten it out. If you look at it from just the right spot, the, the, the painting will flatten. And then actually, it's in other angles, it really dramatically alters how it works in the space. Along with showing with Margaret, as, she, as the art world goes, and it goes into the, the realm of the art fairs, and you get taken to different cities around the country and around the world, other galleries started to contact me uh, and say, hey, do you have paintings available? We're interested in your work. We saw it with Thatcher Projects. Um, and so that led to uh, working with other galleries and doing larger paintings. This is 48 by 48, again on aluminum. Uh, I'll just go through a series and again, this, a lot of these also became works on paper, so I was making works on paper at the same time. Also using uh, just cut paper collages. And all these images are still being derived from my sketchbook. So I, I have a sketchbook and I, they might come from looking at an environment to begin with, but then they sort of respond, each drawing responds to the drawing previous to it. So it sort of becomes like this sort of comic strip, uh, automatic drawing system. And so on my next installation, I decided to take a page from my sketchbook and actually just draw it with graphite directly on the gallery wall uh, the next season for the, for the uh, faculty show. They were not happy about deinstalling graphite. Now that I'm the gallery director, 
I've deinstalled so many installations, it's not even funny. Uh, so I, it was payback. Um, I then started to make these paper forms and use those as the, the maquettes to draw from in my sketchbook, which led to this series of paintings. Uh, and they became obviously much more geometric and a little more less organic and not quite as whimsical. Um, and this was for my second solo show at, at, uh, at a gallery. Um, and, and some people said, this is the serious Bob Allen work. You're finally getting into your mature work. Or some, you know, I, I, I immediately said, I've got to change this. <laughs> I've got to go. I gotta, it, it's not nearly as fun as the previous work. And so this was the next installation, way up in the coffer, the ceiling, the actually the gallery director at the time had forgotten I had requested an installation space. And the only place left was this lonely coffer in the ceiling. So I attempted to change the lights and you can sort of see the drawing there of this sort of tensioned image. And it's, so everybody else got their spaces and I got this space up here. Uh, and it's, that's probably 16 feet off the ground, maybe 18 feet off the ground, it's pretty funny. So I always say 95% of the viewers didn't even notice it. Which is okay, it was, it, it's very experimental. Um, so, this led into uh, larger works like this, which I did a few years back. Uh, I took a sabbatical um, three years ago, I think it was. Uh, and this was actually in a show with Daragana uh, and another gentleman named Matthew Kluver. He does these beautiful projection painting combinations. Um, and this is, I think it's 32 feet across and 10 feet high. Uh, and it was the first time working achromatically. I had, I had gotten so used to using color all the time, I decided to do attempt to turn it off. An attempt to take some of those hard edge forms and make them a little more playful, a little more fun, uh, a little less serious, uh, because I like the animated quality that comes to my work. Um, which I, I think a lot of sort of cartoons and animation. Um, this is another angle of it. And at the same time, this was painted directly on the wall using latex uh, house paint, uh, flat. It wasn't glossy like all my work at, up to this point had been super glossy. And so during my research, one of my objectives for my research was to green my practice. When I painted in my studio, I'd have to paint four or five, six paintings at a time because I wanted to evacuate the space as quick as possible. I couldn't, after painting, just sit on my, you know, sit in a chair and relax because it was off-gassing so badly. I needed to leave for a minimum of 24 hours so the smell could dissipate. I really needed in air, you know, 18 pounds of carbon filter, to, uh, to get that, those VOCs out of there. I'd been doing that for 15 years or so, working with those enamels. And I decided, I have children now, it's probably best to green my practice a little bit and attempt to start to use water-based again. So during this, I was also researching, you know, how to paint with acrylics and how to do other things. And for the life of me, it was like trying to learn how to paint again. It was so frustrating. Uh, where it just, I, I was ready to just go back to enamels and just deal with the fallout of health effects, maybe, whatever. Um, 
I eventually stumbled upon, actually in this show, Matt, he sprays the same enamel that I do, he sprays it. I thought, I'll spray water-based paint. So this series of paintings came out. And so large volumes of paint to spray are expensive. And I, I actually settled on, and I say this, you know, like it's like a secret. I settled on 100% acrylic house paint uh, by Benjamin Moore. It's a very high-end house paint, it's Benjamin Moore. It's a top-of-the-line paint, zero VOCs, uh, but it's 100% acrylic. There's no other latex blends or anything else in there. Is it, uh, is it Windsor Newton or something? Is you know golden? It's not quite that, I guess. But uh, and I chose a flat finish, so these. These are not nearly as hard to uh, photograph for myself, but also the color recognition is instant. The other thing that happened for this round of paintings is that I, I purchased my own vinyl, vinyl cutter, and I was able to cut all my masks via my computer. Um, and so I would layer these. I built a spray booth in my studio. I had venting system with filters. I still wear a respirator, but I only wear it while I'm spraying, which is usually about a minute. And then I can leave the, the, the space, zip it up, it's, it's drying in there, it takes about an hour to dry, and then I can bring it out and start to prep it for the next layer. And so this is also the first time with the work that the sketches that I used uh, instead of scanning them, I photographed them with my phone using a PDF scanner. And then I would take those sketches and live trace them or image trace them with Illustrator, and then I would combine the sketches. It's the first time I've taken multiple sketches and combined them into a single sketch via the computer or via other things. Usually it's just using the sketch as the one-off for the painting. And so this is, a, this is a culmination. So if you go back here, you can see that image here. You saw that here, too. So I was starting to reuse you know, this, this image here is here on its side. So I was reusing images, too, which I hadn't done as much. I had done a long time ago, but I was starting to do things like that again. Um, so those images were in that larger mural. And this, this one was the poster. And so what I found out is, is as I work this way and I am uh, thinking about things is I, I, I chose to, uh, my, my original path when I was a little bit younger than most of the students here was architecture because I like plans and I like plan drawings. And having gone through a traditional BFA program you work intuitively with the paint. You, you, you learn how to you know, do still lifes on the fly and you're, you're making those adjustments and uh, re reacting to the painting in, a, in an intuitive way. Uh, color to me has become more intuitive and it never used to be that way over the, the course of this uh, path. It's become more intuitive. Um, the, what I found out though is that I'm definitely more of a plan maker. I, I have a blueprint for what the painting is going to look like. So it's much more related to how I originally thought I was going to do. And I've only recently discovered that. 
Uh, and I'd never thought about it that way in thinking, oh yeah, like this is, in, in some weird ways, this is a paint by numbers system. Uh, the beauty of this one this time was that I was able to download the Illustrator palettes for the Benjamin Moore Aura collection. And I can actually choose which colors I'm using, and then I can walk a block to the quarters, uh, Benjamin Moore dealer, and say, I'd like a quarter of this color, and this color, and this color. And they make them, and I take them back, and I pour them in my paint gun, and I spray them. It, 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 sometimes it, it feels very strange to paint this way. So in my side practice, I still draw and react to the drawings and make changes. Um, but there's something about the formal qualities of these that, that I find very satisfying. And, and, and that it, 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 it comes out the way I want it to. And it, it, and it comes out, and the surface qualities of these is, because it's coming out of the spray gun, is it, it, it looks machine made, but they're made by hand with the machine assistance. But uh, so with that, uh, this was the final installation shot for my third show at the gallery. There's a few paintings there. And I don't know how long that was, but uh, how long has that been? Not very long? Huh? I was about to thought we were done at six, so I'm kind of peeping an eye back there. But, uh, questions? So this is where I currently am and where I'm going out of <coughs> Yeah, go ahead. So did you mainly work small up until like this show, for example? No, no, uh, let me go back. Uh, these are 24s. This was obviously larger. Um, I'd made bigger paintings in the past. These were 48s. That was 40, they're not huge. These are 60-inch paintings, that's a 60-inch painting, that's a 60-inch painting, so 60-inch wide, 5 feet. Um, one of, the, one of the problems I have uh, with the materials that I've chosen is that I've, I, I've painted on aluminum, pre-made pre aluminum panel. It's a signed substrate. They make it in different flavors. You can get wood inside it. You can get solid plastic inside it. Or you can get sort of a, a wafer plastic inside it, sort of corrugated plastic inside it. How thick is it? Are we talking like aluminum thin? No, it's, it's two layers of aluminum, and it comes in different thicknesses. It's a great question. Uh, the, this, these ones were half inch thick, with a half, so these had a half inch plywood with two sheets of aluminum on each side. So this being 60 inches wide, these were extremely heavy paintings. It was like a, it's like a sheet of plywood, right? And so it became kind of problematic shipping, right? It was really quite large, and the, and the girth, if you know anything about shipping dimensions before you have to go to freight, which jacks you way up if you're shipping to the East Coast. Uh, so. I, I've yet to go six feet wide because I know I can't ship it inexpensively, which I feel like I'm limiting myself in some ways. But the material, the biggest material I can find is five feet by 10 feet. So, and I oftentimes paint in squares, so that makes everything 60 by 60. Uh, so if I, if I switch back to canvases, which I mentioned earlier, I switch this material because I hate gessoing canvas. I hate preparing, <coughs> I hate building stretchers. This stuff comes pre-made, ready to go. I can, I can prime it, route the hole in the back, hang it on the wall. And this goes all the way back to my, I don't want to drop things in acid and wait hours and hours and hours. For some reason, this, the way I work in the computer is sometimes the way I, I, I want to work quickly. 
It's just what I found out about myself. Um, so the these these are a little different. These I and I had samples again that for the students to see. I brought a number of samples so they could see all the different materials I've experimented on over the years. This has the these are 48 by 48, and it has uh, corrugated plastic inside, so they're filled with air. And these are extremely lightweight. And I had painted on them previously for those really, I painted on these, I told this story in the other class too, I told them recent repeats, but this series of paintings, I had painted on the same material because it had just come out and I was working at the sign shop and I said, oh, I'll buy some. You can buy a four by eight sheet for about a hundred bucks. Well, if you're making 24 by 24 inch paintings, that's eight paintings for a hundred bucks. They're already ready to go. You lightly scuff sand them and paint them and they're good. But the edges are, are air, and, the ed and they're, they're, the tubes of air run longitudinally, right? So one side, you might cut a tube in half. It's not always a perfect cut, right? So the gallery when I was at Margaret Thatcher said, so what are you going to do about the edges? I go, I'm not going to do anything about them. They're contemporary paintings. It's, 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 part of the, it's part of the contemporary practice I made. And she sort of looked at me like, I don't buy it. You got, you know, you got to do something with them. So eventually, I filled them with this sort of water-based putty, which <laughs> took longer than building structures, because you had to, you know, push it in there and then smooth it out and sand it and try it again. And then, after shipping them out, when some of them would come back, if they got banged at all, the piece would it would slide inside it, and then you could hear it inside the painting, and they were all broken and cracked. And again, it had us. It, it they would dry up, and then they'd shrink and they'd fall out. And so the, the final solution I came up for this series, this last set of paintings, uh, was that I, I actually found, the, the sign industry is always changing. And so they change their thicknesses of material. So we'll see how long this lasts. But the material that I found is the exact, it's, it's 10 millimeters, which is almost a half inch, not quite a half inch. And I was able to find half inch Angle iron, angle iron, aluminum angle, you know, that I could put down the side of it and I would bolt them on the back or, or machine screw them on the back and they are miter on the corners. So it actually has this super fine silver edge that's uh, 16th or less thick around the edges. So it's got an enclosure on the edges. And the gallery was super satisfied because I, I, I literally machined them to be just just right at the 45s. There was no gapping, as you oftentimes see with, you know, mitered corners or anything. I, I got my saw dialed in just right. And so that was that was the solution this time. We'll see if they change the thickness again, and I don't know what I'm gonna do then, but there is a there is a material that uh, there's a couple of companies out there that make honeycomb aluminum panels where the, there's a honeycomb of aluminum and then two sheets of aluminum facing on them. Those panels are like six to eight hundred dollars a piece, and you can actually get them custom made, and they'll, they'll actually weld a perfect edge on there, and they're about an inch thick, so they're they're a lot more substantial. They look great. I'm just not quite there yet <laughs> financially for the for the outlay of upfront cash. Um, but a friend of mine uses those, and they're they are far superior. But the price of paintings will have to go up. So, good question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, when you made the switch from doing political paintings to abstraction, yeah, um, how like well, I guess you said that you uh, wanted to sort of like have an escape from that mindset. 
No, that's a good question because I've been asked it many times. I, I would say at first uh, when I started, and I don't have images of those earlier sketches that I first ran through the press, um, oftentimes there, there was a flag print with, uh, you know, uh, a message, you know, masked message in it, and those things started to, to develop. Um, somewhere in there, I, I decided I am thinking about this all the time. And I have a brother who, who, who suffers from depression because of that type, because he cannot turn it off. He just can't turn it off. And uh, what, somehow I, I found a ton of pleasure in playing with the formal qualities. I, I tried to mask in some things, and I could, I could sit here and try to say, yeah, I, it's about this or this. Um, I don't do that overtly now. I do think it's, uh, you know, these become these consumable objects that get sold for, you know, prices that none of my friends or myself can afford. In some weird way, that subverts, uh, in, in some weird way, I'm playing into the commodification, but some way I kind of laugh about it too, in that weird, like I'm selling these things to people. Uh, if I could trade them for my, my gas and my electricity each month, I would just do that, but I can't, right? So, but I, I am still very political, and I've, I've knocked on many of doors. I've, if you know anything about Wisconsin, I've picketed many times around the state capitol. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I, actually, I actually find a lot of pleasure in the simple formal qualities and not necessarily have an overarching uh, conceptual message. So, and, and, and I oftentimes think of, of other political works that have thought about that uh, more. And, and one of the, I'm actually, a friend and I are gonna start to collaborate on things, so we're discussing some of those things too. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. But, good question. I don't know if that satisfies your needs. Oh, yeah. Someone who um, started out being so interested in architecture. Yeah. Um, and I'm a two-dimensional. Like I work 3D, so I mean, I, I look at these and I and I see form. Sure. You know, I see actual objects. So I wonder, you know, do you now, after some time, are you do you just want to see these as lines and as shape, or do you want to see them? I, I certainly have that, I do have that idea, and, and fabricated uh, in, a, in a manner in which, and similar to how these are done. One thing I do on the side is I build a lot of things for my own house, bookshelves and tables and other things, and I have that crafts sensibility, um, and I enjoy tools. And so, <laughs> seeing these objects become sculptural, especially now more, I mean, more than others, uh, in some of the animations, when the objects tween, sometimes they would turn into these three-dimensional things. And I said, oh. And that's sort of what you know pushed me to these types of things. Um, and so, yeah, I do think about color spaces with three-dimensional form coming out. Um, and I don't know. There, uh, a good friend of mine is a sculptor and I helped him install his sabbatical show 
Uh, and he, him and I were talking about ways in which some of these things could be born out of MDF and paint and lots of Bondo and various other things to become these objects. So. But yeah, I it totally would love to see it in 3D. So other questions? So I think about it a lot. I don't know when when it might happen. But do you, when you envision that, what scale do you envision? I envision larger ones, but I I could see them being smaller. Uh, just because I work in this sort of maquette, like where I make a small blueprint of where I'm going, you know, and that physically. Um, so I could see making something small to see if it, I can actually pull it off and then mm -hmm. going larger. But uh, scale, I no. I'd like to see them in beta space, mm -hmm. you know? Doing that, doing this, this, th this was the largest work to date, and I, I was a studio visit finalist for the Wisconsin Triennial where I proposed a very large installation, like five times the size of this, where I would have had a team of painters helping me. I didn't get, I didn't get accepted out of the you know, 45 studio visits they did. Um, you know, whether that's budgetary, I'm not sure, but uh, so that I was excited to try to do even larger. But doing something this scale, I thought was was nice. That was seeing something physical would be interesting too. So, other questions? Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. And there is a, a reception at 6 o'clock, right, over here? Yes. That I'll be going to. So if you do have another question and you want to ask me, or you want to ask me now, that's fine, too. It will be there until 7.30.